On the night before Good Friday, uh, Scripture teaches us that Judas, one of the twelve, he betrayed Jesus. He betrayed him uh, with the kiss, and he did so for 30 pieces of silver. Because of this betrayal, uh, Jesus would be taken into custody. And as he's taken into custody, Scripture teaches us that he was interrogated uh, by many men. He was uh, interrogated by Caiaphas, the high priest. He was uh, placed in front of the Sanhedrin. He was uh, given a talking to, if you will, from uh, Pilate. Pilate sent him over to King Herod, and then King Herod sent him back to Pilate once again. He was in custody. He wasn't free to do what he wanted to do. At least that's what man thought. Uh, but that's what was going on. Jesus has been arrested, uh, put in chains, and interrogated. The Son of God is not, also, not just being interrogated. He's also uh, on trial uh, for his life. Jesus, uh, the Son of God, would stand in front of his accusers. Remember, he was innocent. He was without sin. He would stand in front of his accusers, and they would soon render a judgment on him. The irony of that, this Lord who made their very mouths were mouths that were now spitting out the most vilest and heinous things. The hands that he made would be taken and lifted up and they would strike him across the face. The irony in a people that they would actually render a verdict against him. Standing in front of Caiaphas, the high priest, the Lord uh, had a bit of a dialogue with him. It says in Matthew 26, 60 through, 62 through 63, it says, And the high priest stood up and he said, Have you no answer to make, Jesus? Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But the scripture says in Matthew 26, 63, it says, But Jesus remained silent. He said nothing. He said nothing. Standing in front of Pilate in Matthew 27, 12 through 14, we pick up this account. But when he, when he Jesus, was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Brothers and sisters, again, he said nothing. Jesus doesn't say a word. Why? Why is it that Jesus does not say a word? Can you ever think of a time where Jesus had ever lost an argument? Can you think of one? Just think of one time when Jesus lost an argument. The Bible teaches us in Mark 1.22 that he amazed his hearers. And no one could best him in an argument, according to Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, 13 through 27. Yet Jesus said nothing. Why is that? Well, if he would have said something... We would have lost everything. 
if he would have said something, we would have lost everything. But he said nothing. And in doing so, he would give everything. He gave everything. The Bible teaches us in Titus 2.14 that he who gave himself for us, he who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He gave everything. Galatians 1.4 says that he who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave everything. You see, at the cross, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53, verse 6. He did this so that they may know that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He separates our sin as far as the east is from the west, according to Psalm 103, 12. The death of Jesus, it, he made uh, the death of Jesus uh, did something pretty significant. It made the high priest's jobs uh, obsolete. Remember that once a year job of the high priest to go behind the veil, to go into the Holy of Holies. You see, when Jesus died, when he breathed his last, he made that job obsolete. You see, immediately after Jesus said it is finished, and when he said it was finished, he did something. He gave up his spirit. The Bible says in Matthew 27, 15, that the curtain or the veil, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when this happened, the entire earth shook and the rocks were split. The veil was torn. The veil was torn. And in essence, what this did is it threw the doors wide open. Let me explain. Because the sins of those who put their trust in Christ are fully dealt with in the death of Jesus. You see, forgiven sinners, not just sinners, forgiven sinners are now welcomed. They're welcomed into the presence of God and they have union with Christ. We have confidence now to enter into the Holy of Holies because of the blood that was poured out on Calvary's hill. By this new, by this new, this, this thing that happened because of what Christ did, he opened up, he opened for us through the curtain that is because of his flesh. The veil had been torn. He opens up this curtain that is through his flesh. You see, Christ being crucified, Christ being ripped to pieces is the veil. It's his flesh being ripped open and it does something. It's meant to make you pause. It's meant to make you step back and see the wickedness and the vileness of it. The tearing of the curtain was a visible sign of the tearing of Christ's flesh. Because his flesh was torn, we can now enter into his presence that we are now given direct access. 
You see, he gave everything so that we can experience everything. J.A. Packer said that the only reason why God does not deal with us according to our sins and repay us according, accordingly is that he has dealt with Christ and repaid him for our transgressions. The cross, it lets us in on something. The cross lets us in on who God is. And the cross lets us in on who we are. You see, the nature and the character of God is that He is holy and that He is righteous. That God is a just judge and that He will and He must punish sin. The Bible teaches us that if we have just one sin, if we've committed just one sin, that one day we will stand in front of God. We will stand in front of this judge, this just judge. We will go to His courtroom. And if we are guilty of one sin, if we have not had that sin atoned for, if we have not repented of our sin and placed, and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, this Lord, this God, this just judge, the hammer is going to come down and he's going to render a verdict that says guilty. And when that hammer comes down and he says guilty, he will cast that person into hell. You see, the story behind that is this would mean that that person who was cast into hell has rejected, has rejected his son. He's rejected his son. And, the, and that, that, that verdict, that judgment means eternity separated from God, hell. He will judge. He will judge every single person. The Bible teaches us that God hates sin. God hates sin. We learn through Scripture that His own Son bore our sin. And in doing so, God crushed Jesus. Why is God so angry because of sin? Why is He so angry because of our sin? Well, I think uh, Jerry Bridges says it, says it very well. He says, well, because of our sin, regardless of how small or insignificant it may seem to us, it is essentially an assault on His infinite majesty and sovereign authority. As 19th century theologian George Smeaton wrote, God is angry at sin because it is a violation of His authority and a wrong to His inviolable majesty. That's why. That's why He hates sin. It is here that we begin to realize, it is here on the cross, that we begin to realize the seriousness of sin. All sin is a, is a rebellion against God's authority. It, it's, it's despising. It's to be, it's to spit in his face. It's, just, it's despising of his law and a defiance of his commands. It's people saying, I won't come under your authority. That's what's happening here. It's sin. Sin is missing the mark. You know, in this day and age in which we live, uh, definitions matter. 
Some things we thought used to mean one thing don't mean that at all anymore. We redefine things. But let's, let us not ever redefine what sin is. Sin, according to God's Word, is missing the mark. Think about somebody out there, an archer, shooting uh, at, a, at a target, okay? If they, they're missing the mark, right? When they miss the mark, that's what sin is. It's a missing of the mark. Sin is also described as breaking God's law. When we break one of the Ten Commandments, right? That's, that, that's what sin is. It's the breaking of God's law. It's also, sin can be described as rebellion against God. And again, sin that's not dealt with, sin that has not been atoned for, will separate us from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have fallen short. All mankind is guilty because of their sin. In other words, every single human being must have their sin atoned for. Every single human being needs to take notice of what was going on as on that tree 2,000 years ago. It matters. It matters. It may seem like it doesn't matter to many people as they live like it doesn't matter. But trust me, one day, every knee will bow. Every single human being will know that what happened on that tree was the most important thing in the history of mankind. You can say, well, the resurrection of Jesus. Well, don't they go together? You see, we need our sin to be atoned for. And every single human being will realize the significance and the weight of what happened on that tree. You see, at the cross, our sins were laid upon Jesus. Jesus, on the cross, He took our place, He bore our sins, and then suffered the, the, the full, pure, flaming wrath of God. I can't even describe what happened there. There are no words I think that I know. I don't know. I just know it was awful. It was awful. Jesus suffered the wrath of God. He suffered in our place. We deserve to be on that tree, but Jesus took it all. You see, and by doing so, sin was extinguished. But the sin was not swept under the rug. It was dealt with in the, in the person of Jesus. It was Jesus who satisfied the wrath of God. It was Jesus who commuted our death sentence. Like a judge, he, he, he sets us free. Or did he? Did he set us free? Did Jesus set you free by going to the cross. The Bible says that Jesus did not stay in the grave. It says that he ascended into heaven and where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. But I want to go back to something for a moment. Did Jesus pay the penalty for your sins? Because if he did, then that would have meant that you've repented of your sin, that you've recognized your sin. 
and you recognize that your sin was so heinous that Jesus had to pay for your sins. You see, when you come to the cross, you're, you're sobered. You, you recognize something. You see your sin, and then you see Jesus paying for your sin. And when you understand the cross and understand your sin and you understand what was happening there, you cry out in mercy, oh God, how kind you are. Look at what Jesus has done. And when we cry out to him and we ask for forgiveness and we put our trust and our faith in him, he will save us and then we'll be transformed and we'll live for him. Have you done that? It's only... It's not, it's Good Friday only if we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's just another day if we don't. So again, I said he ascended into heaven. Jesus ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. And because of where he is, with authority, Jesus can now say these words, and I quote John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says in John 14, 6. He also says in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Some... Uh, have uh, asked this question. The Bible captures it for us. Many have asked the question, you know, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? It's probably one of the most beautiful questions anybody could ask. If you're thinking it, let me give you scripture, Acts 16, 31, as it says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Mark 1.15 answers the same question, and it says, Repent, and then believe the gospel. Brothers and sisters, as you think about the cross, as you think about Good Friday, remember what we've learned. Jesus, he said nothing. He gave everything. And now we experience everything. What is it that we experience? Well, forgiveness reconciliation, restoration, hope, new birth, and spending eternity forever with our Lord and Savior. Okay, so I've got two questions I'd like for you and your group or your family to discuss uh, that I think will, will be helpful. The first one's gonna make you think uh, just a little bit. Uh, we find this out of John's Gospel, uh, chapter 13, verse one. Let me read it to you. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So something's happened here. Uh, he, the, the Father has revealed to the Son that the hour has come for him to depart. In other words, his earthly ministry was coming to an end. I just like for your group just to think for a little bit. You may not be able to come up with the answer, but really chew on this. Think about this. What were some of the emotions that Jesus was likely feeling? What do you think was going through his mind at this time? Think about that. I think it'll get you really thinking about uh, what we're dealing with on 
Good Friday. The second thing that I would ask you to think about is, you know, we call Good Friday Good Friday, but didn't someone die? Didn't Jesus go to a cross and was brutally beaten? That he was murdered on that tree? So why is it that we call it Good Friday? Why don't you discuss that uh, as a family? And then let's see if that will help us uh, to get closer uh, to a greater understanding of the significance of the cross. God bless you, church. I love you.